0: Fuel in Kentucky, the podcast of the Kentucky Petroleum Marketers Association. I'm your host, Brian Clark. And in the studio with me today, we have Abby Lobb, our communication specialist. And Hello. we have a special guest from Canary Compliance. We have John Kelly, founder and CEO and new member of the KPMA. We're very glad to have you with us. John, welcome.
1: Thank you, Brian. Hi to you, and hi to you too, Abby.
0: So you're coming to us live from Philadelphia today uh, in the virtual studio for the KPMA with this podcast. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar, Canary Compliance is they specialize in remote monitoring of underground storage tank systems. You can check out their website at cancomply.io. And we're going to talk today with John just to learn a little bit more about the company and then also what they're doing in the areas of helping retailers realize cost savings specifically as it relates to field service. So uh, we just want to kind of kick off the conversation with you, John, to say, uh, so you founded this company. What's your background with the petroleum industry and petroleum systems in particular? And why did you start Canary Compliance?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to be here and it's great to be part of the uh, KPMA. We're very excited to be getting involved, Uh, looking forward to meeting many of the members um, out there at the events this year. Uh, As far as my background, I used to work for ExxonMobil. That's how I got started in the industry. I spent a number of years with them, uh, had a customer that I got connected with who was struggling with remote connectivity to his automatic tank monitoring systems, had lots of dealer sites where he couldn't necessarily control the internet, uh, so on and so forth. So he was unable to get inventory levels, unable to get alarm information, unable to capture the required leak detection records. Um, I heard him complaining so much about this problem that I thought you know, that really sounds like a problem in search of a solution. Uh, ended up leaving ExxonMobil and getting Canary started uh, back in around 2015-16, um, really with the goal of helping uh, establish remote connectivity. And then over the years, we've evolved into a specialized uh, software-as-a-service company that provides remote t- uh, time monitoring software to fuel retailers, um, you know, commercial applications, but predominantly to uh, the fuel retailing industry.
0: So two things. Um, you don't sound like a native Philadelphian. I'm going to guess that that's not your original uh, native Kentucky,
1: home. Can you tell? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I was born in the UK. Um, my dad actually worked for Mobile and then ExxonMobil that it became. Uh, so we bounced around all over the world um, before eventually settling here in the
0: US. But uh, from the East Coast. Very good. And what's the story behind the name? canary compliance. I have a guess, but I'd love to hear how that came about. Sure, yeah. Uh,
1: Well, for those that don't know, back in the day, um, the coal miners used to use canaries. They would take them down with them, and when the oxygen levels got low, the canaries would start chirping, and that was a signal to the coal miners that they needed to get out, uh, sort of an early risk exposure uh, type of detection system, if you will, And so much like the canaries in the coal mines, what we are trying to do is provide an early risk detection system for people that have underground storage tanks. Um, So we thought the canary name was an appropriate metaphor for what we're doing, uh, chirping away as the tank monitors that are detecting potential risk uh, underground are doing their thing.
0: See, there's a good Kentucky connection. We have a few coal mines here. So that's a very logical (laughs) connection story there as well. So now that's great. Excellent. So, of course, retailers, you know, they want to save money, but they also want to make sure they're safe. So, can you talk about the importance of efficient field service and remote troubleshooting and how it saves money?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, despite being a technology company, um, we are very focused on the actions that people take. Ultimately, people drive business, computers facilitate business, but people are ultimately the ones that do it, especially when it comes to businesses like Retail Petroleum when there is so much equipment that needs to be looked at and monitored and maintained. Over the years, as we have been monitoring all this equipment that's out there, we've been aggregating and capturing data around field service activities. And what we have realized over the years is that there is a slow, steady bleed of maintenance dollars that goes out as retailers who have the best of intentions to respond to potential risk and potential leaks, try to stay in compliance with the rules and try to safeguard the communities in which they operate. So they may send out service technicians to go and look at something because the store has called in a potential problem. Now, what we have found is that it is um, quite remarkable how much money is lost to unnecessary service dispatches, excessive billable hours on site, from either third parties, you know, or anyone that's, um, or retailer themselves, repeat visits due to incomplete remote troubleshooting and incomplete or disorganized maintenance records. What we've found is, you know, alarm goes off, people don't really understand what the root cause is, so they might send somebody out when they don't have to. It may have been a false positive that's gone off and uh, the person on site didn't know or the person who's monitoring it remotely didn't fully understand uh, what the root cause was. So, unnecessary service dispatches happen all the time. Excessive billable hours on site happen when you send out a third party and they may show up without any knowledge of what's really going on. So, they've got to spend the first You know, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes doing a little bit of detective work to figure out, okay, really what's happening here? um, Which pump am I supposed to be looking at? What's the underlying cause here? Let me go inside and check the tank monitor, talk to the person on site, get their sense of what's going on. And without clear service guidance, a technician has to show up and he's essentially flying blind, hoping that he can figure out uh, what's going on before he can actually start to get to the action of solving the problem and putting his skills to use. Obviously, the um, another, as I mentioned, incomplete troubleshooting can lead to repeat dispatches where a technician goes out. Because he didn't know what he was supposed to be fixing in the first place, he shows up, he fixes something else, he leaves, the underlying problem hasn't been resolved, somebody else has to go back, and you end up with this kind of circle of vans showing up at the site to fix problems that ultimately haven't been addressed. There is a temptation, I think, in in this industry to patch up problems and put band-aids on them because the underlying cause can be expensive to ultimately fix. Um, but that can then lead to this ongoing bleed of dollars as well. And then the final thing I mentioned earlier is the disorganized or incomplete maintenance records. If you don't have an understanding of the history of a piece of equipment, a new alarm is a totally brand-new data point. You have no context for what what is going on, and uh, you may be going out... Uh, to look at something without some very important context that might help you solve that problem much more quickly than if you're just going out and treating it as an isolated incident. So those are the things that we've sort of observed through uh, our customers and um, you know the activities that they take and the third parties that they use. And, and this seems to really plague the industry as a problem. And ultimately, I understand why retailers are responding. They want to do the right thing. They want to get the site back up and running. And so they send somebody out because it's the right thing to do. However, that can get really expensive over time. And especially if you're constantly in kind of firefighting mode, uh, just reacting to these things, you sort of lose track of how much money you're really spending uh, on uh, uptime and maintenance and compliance and things like that. So it's a real kind of hidden cost center that I think people don't fully appreciate in this industry and and it's a concern.
0: How many alarms do you think are false alarms?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. So um, I would say that it's, it's a complicated question, right? Because you may have an alarm that could be triggered by a variety of different causes. For instance, I won't get into too much technical detail, but there's a certain type of pressurized line leak detection alarm that could be triggered by either you running out of fuel, you having a catastrophic failure, or you having some pressure buildup in that line between the tank and the dispenser in each of those situations, the troubleshooting to fix the alarm is totally different. If it's because you ran out of fuel, you need a fuel delivery. If it's because you've got pressure in the line, you need to rerun the test. If it's because you have a catastrophic failure, then you really need to get all the resources you've got to that location to prevent a serious um, release from occurring. So, you've got the same exact trigger, three different causes, and three totally different troubleshooting steps to take. And so, The way that we look at things is to try to avoid looking at the individual alarms in isolation and view them within the context of other alarms that might be going on and other conditions that might be happening at the location so if we've noticed that that alarm that i just mentioned has gone off but also simultaneously the you know needs a delivery alarm has gone off too okay well you can put two and two together and say all right now we know that we need a fuel delivery now was that a false alarm well it was if you were going to send out a compliance technician to go and start remediating, but it's not if you sent out a fuel delivery truck, right? So I think it's very, it's a a tough question to answer. Exactly, Uh, a tough question to answer clearly. But what we do know is that the volume of alarms that occur on these tank monitors is staggering. A couple of years ago, we did an assessment of this and we found that over the course of two months, there were, I think it was 30,000 tank monitor alarms that happened at a survey size of 800 locations wow <laughs> we ended up looking at that and saying okay well how many of these are actually issues that need to be addressed and how much uh, there's there's going to be some that are paper out and paper jam and stuff like that you don't really care about all of that but you can cut that down to the issues that need to be addressed by grouping alarms together like i mentioned you've got your low product alarm and your pressurized line alarm together that's two alarms it's one issue right um, you might have a wiring issue with a probe and the probe is going in and out of alarm constantly hundreds of times a day that's hundreds of alarms, but it's one problem. You've got a wiring problem. So, you know, when you group those all down together, it really, I think it ended up as being something like 1800 issues that actually needed to be addressed despite this overwhelming volume of alarms that's going off. And, uh, you know, we call it finding a needle in a haystack because you've got all these alarms going off. Um, You know, how are you supposed to know what's what's really going on um, if all you're doing is reacting to these alarms.
0: It's a, lot to it's yes. a lot of beeps. <laughs> yes, and that's a, great, that's a great segue. I mean, in addition to a very clever name, you actually have a very clever ad campaign, right? Your What <laughs> The Beep series uh, videos are very clever and we'll take a quick listen here to one.
1: If you own or operate a gas station, you're in a high cost, high risk business. With your fuel tanks underground and out of sight, you probably rely on a tank monitor to detect when things go wrong. But if you're not on site every day, your store attendant is your first line of defense for any alarms that may occur. Sure, UST operator training is now required and most savvy retailers monitor their alarms remotely. But let's get real. Underground storage tank systems are complex, and most alarms aren't exactly easy to interpret.
0: CSLD rate increase warning.
1: What the? Precisely. That's why Canary Compliance is launching a new educational video series called What The Beep? These short, informative videos will provide clear and simple explanations for common but often misunderstood or misinterpreted tank monitor alarms. We'll be releasing these videos every couple of weeks, so stay tuned for more content that will help you and your team better understand what the is going on with your tanks.
0: Ah, I got it. Uh, that's great. I mean, AT, ATG alarms, you know, aren't, aren't a joke, right? They are critical systems for USTs. But, but true to your point, some alarms can be vague or difficult to deal with. And, but you can't afford to uh, to ignore them. So, how can operators take control today? How does working with your uh, software solution help them do that?
1: Yeah, so I, I think you know the, the reason we designed the What the Beep video series is because we found that there were lots of people out there that didn't really understand what one alarm means versus another alarm or the same alarm means in different contexts. And so we wanted to provide some tools and some simple explanations for folks that maybe find themselves on site responding to a beta route or, a, or another tank monitor, um, but without any context for, for what they you know, should be looking at. So at the end of the day, you know, what we think are the the three most important pillars to effective equipment management, uh, it's connectivity, it's consistency, and it's clarity. So connectivity is fundamental. If you don't have your equipment connected remotely, then you're entirely dependent on somebody on site informing you about a problem that has gone off. If that connection is unstable or unreliable, then uh, you run the risk of not being notified in time, and that sometimes is even worse Than not having any connection at all because your process is dependent on a connection. But if you don't know how good that connection is, then you don't know when you will or won't find out about stuff. So, connectivity is absolutely fundamental. And and that's a large part of what we do. Now, consistency and clarity are the other two sort of pillars that we like to talk about. Clarity around understanding these alarms and kind of ties into our What the Be video series. Obviously, you can educate people on site. But you know, we've also developed some algorithms and things like that that help people understand a little bit more context as to what these alarms are really indicating, because we think it's very important for somebody to have a clear understanding of, of what it is that they're being notified about when uh, they're getting some kind of alert or, or message about an issue on site. And the third piece that I mentioned is consistency. If you are not troubleshooting, diagnosing, responding to alarms and other triggers consistently, then you will create inefficiency, and that will then create cost. And so we think having very rigorous processes, they can be lightweight, but they need to be uh, consistent. Processes for how you troubleshoot things and diagnose things is important. We try to apply software and rules engines and things like that to help facilitate consistency so that when technicians or or, maintenance providers do have to go and fix a problem that has um, arisen, they can do it in a consistent and efficient way uh, to, to do it at the lowest possible cost.
0: Efficiency is key, for sure, for people in our industry. Um, shifting gears a little bit, can you talk about your Canary's background with PEI and Conexus to develop standardized data protocol for USD equipment?
1: Sure. So PEI is the Petroleum Equipment Institute, for those listeners that aren't familiar with it. Um, it's a group of service providers and, and manufacturers that... Um, either sell, service, or maintain and install the uh, petroleum equipment that's at all of your locations. So you probably work with a PEI member, even if you don't know about the organization. Connexus is a data standards development organization that uh, used to be part of the National Association of Convenience Stores, NAX, and spun out to focus exclusively on data standards. Now, with that as context, we view compliance and underground storage tank management as a team sport. So, you've got a retailer, you've got a service company, you have a compliance testing company, you have an inspector, you have a regulator. You know There are going to be all sorts of stakeholders at play here. And one of the most important pieces of managing this equipment is managing the associated data with this equipment now one thing that has plagued underground storage tank data management for a long time is a lack of any sort of consistent structure for this equipment information so none of the people on the team can share information reliably because it might be in a spreadsheet in a certain format on brian's computer and then it's in some kind of text file abby on your computer and then i've got it in a database that i created in microsoft access and somebody else is using an off-the-shelf software platform. And and so, you've got all of these different methods of tracking equipment information, but no one can really share it because they don't communicate with one another.
0: And Um, you have any staff turnover and somebody has to then try to identify that file and how do they name it and where do they put it? Exactly,
1: exactly. And then all of this is very important because one of the most fundamental pieces of owning tanks, as many of the retailers listening will know, is that you have to register your equipment and you have to register it with your state. And I would imagine there are a number of folks that are part of KPMA that, are mem- that, are, that operate in multiple states. And they will be familiar with the fact that Kentucky's database looks a little bit different than Virginia's database and looks a little bit different than West Virginia's database and go on down the line for all 53 states and territories. So uh, it creates problems. It creates inefficiency. You know, we talked about maintenance records. It's very hard to do that when people are all singing off a different song sheet, if you will, uh, in terms of understanding what equipment is there. So we decided to get the folks from the Petroleum Equipment Institute who have the subject matter knowledge of what type of underground storage tank equipment exists and uh, all the different possible permutations of this equipment that could be out there. We brought them into a room with folks from Connexus, who are the data standards experts, uh, and they provide kind of the guardrails, I suppose, for the process of developing a standard. And in collaboration with regulators, with service companies, with technology providers, with retailers, we've been developing this standardized format for underground storage tank asset data, with the goal being that there is a uniform standard out there so whoever is creating a database, whoever is creating any kind of tool for managing this equipment will have a blueprint that says, okay, if you're going to be talking about piping, this is how you talk about piping in your database. If you're going to be talking about sensors, here's how you talk about sensors, tanks, and so on and so forth down the line. The goal of this ultimately is to make this team sport a little bit easier for everybody to play so that we can see better results from a an operational compliance standpoint, from a field service efficiency standpoint, and all of that. It's certainly not going to happen overnight. We are probably 3 quarters of the way through developing the standard, but adoption is going to be key. Uh, If there are any marketers out there that are interested in learning more, we'd be happy to talk. We're always looking for real-world perspective on how we can make this something that's going to be easy to use, easy to implement, easy to access. Um, We've had very positive feedback from the regulatory community, including the EPA. And, um, you know, we're, we're always looking for additional feedback from from the real world, because ultimately that's where the rubber meets the road.
0: And John, how can people contact you if they want to learn more about not only your product, but Canary Compliance and also talk with you about this initiative from the standardization side? Sounds fascinating. I'm sure folks will have a lot of questions. And as you said, you need input. What's the best way they can reach you?
1: Sure. Well, they can certainly, as you said, uh, visit our website. There's contact information listed on there. Our URL is cancomply.io. Um, my email is jkelly, J-K-E-L-L-Y, and cancomply.io. And uh, would certainly be happy to chat with anyone and uh, you'll probably see me wearing a yellow shirt at a KPMA event in the future. So don't hesitate to grab me.
0: Sounds good. Well, we look forward to seeing you soon at a, at a KPMA event coming to you soon. Uh, we've got a few here on the horizon, but most importantly, we're glad to have Canary Compliance as a member and appreciate your time today. Thanks for giving the insights, both some clever advertising creativity, but also some really hard work with, uh, with the product uh, that helps folks uh, monitor their systems. A lot of good stuff there. You bet. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Fuel in Kentucky, the podcast of the Kentucky Petroleum Marketers Association. Visit our website at www.kpma.org and tune in next time. We'll talk to you soon.